I'm Jerry Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking on Wednesdays about about predestination. Predestination is one of the most difficult things for people to understand. There's no such thing as free will. The Bible says that man is self-willed over there in 2 Timothy 2.10 and in Titus 1.7. Self-will means there's nothing good in a man to will himself into the kingdom. Self-will is the word authodes, authodes, A-U-T-H, A-D-E-S. It's a construction of auto, you can see A-U-T, auto, which is the word self, and H-A-D-E-S. A hedonistic person is one that is involved in every kind of debaucherous, lascivious act that has no redeeming qualities in it. That's what a that's what a self-willed person is. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's do. Let's look over there in Second Peter, Second Peter two, and this is what this says. When the Bible says that. It's not of the will of man it's that we were born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You can say, well, I can get in my car and start my car and go out here and drive and go out here to the road and turn left or I can turn right. If you are predisposed to do one or the other, God's put that in your mind because he says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. That means every bad thing and every good thing that happens in your life. You mean he allows sin to happen? Certainly he does. And not only allows it, he puts you in a sinful flesh. When he restrains his, his when he brings his restraining power on us and stops it from restraining us, we'll do, oh, do the most evil deeds. And the Bible says in Psalm 76.10, the wrath of man shall praise thee, Lord, and the remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. All the anger and rage of man will praise God, and the amount he doesn't want to happen, he'll stop it from happening. People just can't get it through their minds that God creates evil. It's really difficult for men to understand that nothing, there's nothing good in a man. Now, most people in America, if you ask them if they're good, they'll say, well, yeah, I'm good. And they're not. The rich young ruler that came to Jesus said, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but God. He's the only one that good. If I am good, I am God. That's what he was saying. Now, here in... Second Peter 2. Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust. This is verse 10. In the lust of uncleanness. Lust is the word epithumia. E-P-I-T-H-U-M-I-A. It is a construction of thumas which means to breathe hard after 
and epi means to cover your life or to superimpose breathing hard after the flesh. And they despise governments. Government is kuriotes, K-U-R-I-O. T-E-S. Kuriotes comes from the word kurios, which is the word Lord. I don't want anybody lording themselves over me and telling me what to do. That's what the word governments. It comes from the word Lord. Presumptuous are they. They're Talmates. They're just very arrogant. Talmates. T-O-L-M-E-T-E-S. Very arrogant. Just, just flaunting authority. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. There it is right there. Orthodox, they have this hedonistic way about themselves, hedonism, H-E-D-O-N-I-S-T-I-C. Let me read that word, hedonistic, to you out of a Webster's Dictionary. Here's what hedonism is. Hedonism, having to do with pleasure, hedonism, or hedonistic, hedonism means the ethical doctrine that pleasure variously conceived in terms of happiness of the individual or of society is the principal good and the proper, proper aim of action. The theory that a person always acts in such a way as to seek pleasure and avoid pain the self-indulgent pursuit of pleasure as a way of life you know what that sounds like that sounds like what thomas jefferson founded america on you can find this in hastings encyclopedia of religion eudaimonism e-u-d-a-i-m-o-n-i-s-m eudaimonism when you read it out of hastings it will say welfare. It's the welfare of the person that the, that the best good is attained for the individual by the best feeling a man can have. Eudaimonism comes from you and D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That is our word demon. And in the first century, most demons were considered good. That was their ancestors that they said came and they deified them as gods. This was God worship long before the Shintos in Japan started it. So it means a good demon. And Augustus Caesar was called the good demon because he distributed the fortunes of the world to the individuals. Daemonion means to distribute fortunes. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, the Bible says there is none good. If there is none good, how can you get into heaven by your will? There's not anything good in anybody. The only time a person becomes good is when God births 
that inner man which is Christ in you. And you'll find this in Romans 7. You're going to find it in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, talking about the inner man and putting on, put on the inner man, four. You're going to find it in Colossians, the third chapter, talking about this inner man and get rid of that outer man, which is the flesh. And that takes God a lifetime. And the inner man is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ. Now, how did I get off on this subject? That's a good question. I'm going to talk to you about the Sabbath. The Sabbath and predestination and the sovereignty of God are all related. Now, whenever I say sovereignty, I'm not talking about God is a cosmic police officer walking up and down in heaven going I wish you wouldn't do that I wish you wouldn't do that stop this over here God has ordered everything to be that is he's declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times from before the world began everything that's not yet done when the Bible says that when the Bible says that in in Isaiah 46 and 10 when he says he's declared everything that's not yet done, he means exactly that. You mean all the sin in the world? Yes. You mean babies dying in Africa? Yes. If I were God, would I do that? No. But see, I'm not God and I can't think like God. If he says he does something, whether I understand it or not, or whether it is in accordance with the morals of a 21st century America, that doesn't have anything, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. I believe God when he says that. That's the problem with America. They're living by a morality that's been set down in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And it's not. It never has been the land of the free and the home of the brave. If it was, they wouldn't have had slaves in early America, would they? Wouldn't have been oppressing the American Indian. They wouldn't be oppressing the Mexican. Or the, they said the black people during slave times didn't have souls. They said the American Indian didn't have souls. This was Caucasian white men from America, Roman Catholics. That the Pope put out this edict. Don't have time to go there. Let me tell you about sovereign. I'm talking about sovereignty and whenever I say sovereignty or sovereign, this means that God is over everything in the world. He has all power. The Bible says, Jesus said when he met the apostles in the 28th chapter, after he resurrected from the dead, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. He means every the power over everything, every man's actions. Most people don't believe that because they think, well, I got the will to go out here and do something that I want to do. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you think so? Would you like to be rich? We'll just go out and do it, okay? Would you like to walk on water? How about, would you like to turn water into wine? How about, can you stop a storm and go, going, shh. Oh, Jesus did. Now, Jesse Duplantis says he can order storms around, but he lies. Now, Sabbath, I'm going to go back through this. 
Let me read the word sovereignty to you. Sovereign. It comes from the Latin super. From the Latin super. Super is the Greek word hooper. Hooper means above. Super means above all things. Superman means a man that's above all men. Of course, there's no such thing as Superman. So it means super above, superior to all others, superior to Satan. Position of a ruler, superior in power, rank, authority, independent of all others, a monarch or a ruler over everything. So God is ruler over good and evil and everything else. Now, I've been telling you that if God is doing everything, and that's, uh, that's related to the sovereignty of God or predestination. Predestination is just one point of the sovereignty of God. People resent that because when they see the word, they think, well, you mean to say that God uh, appoints people to heaven and they can live any way they want to. That's not what predestination's about. It's not even the word predestination. It's, that's not the word. Here's the word. Pro-horizo. You noticed I put an H in there. Horizo. There's no H's in the Greek. The Greek alphabet. There's a little diacritical mark. Looks like a a backward apostrophe, and it's it has an H sound. So it actually is the word pro horizo. Later on, the Latins put an N on the word horizo because that means to bound inside the light. I've had people ask me, are people predestined to go to hell? You can never apply the word predestination to people in hell because it means to predetermine for the horizon or for the light. Actually, it means, it actually means the horizon. It means if you've got a horizon, it's the light. You cannot see the horizon from the dark. At night, you can't see the horizon. So you have to be inside the light to see the horizon. And there is a, there's two words that I really need to impress on you. And that is the word prison and forgiveness. Now, prison... This has to do with the horizon or predetermined for the horizon. Both of these words have to do with the horizon, the light and the dark. Prison is the word phulake, P-H-U-L-A-K-E. And it means the division of day and night or light and dark light and dark and forgiveness 
Forgiveness is the word aphesis. A-P-H-E-S-I-S and it means to pardon and release from prison. That's amazing because the Bible speaks in 1 Peter 3 and 18 and 19 1 Peter 3 18 and 19 that Christ came and preached to the spirits in prison the people that were in the dark and that was the Gentiles from Adam until Jesus and they were in dark darkness is always equated with lies lies And light is always equated in the Bible. Jesus is the light of the world. Light is always equated with truth. This is how simple this is when people don't know what the spirits in prison is. And he came to preach to them being put to death in the flesh, put to death in flesh, and quickened by the Spirit. Quicken means to make alive. He preached to the Spirit in prison. When you put those two phrases together, quicken by Spirit after they die, there's one word that equates to being put to death and then quickened. The word resurrection, anastasis, means to come to life after dying. And that's not just the resurrection of Christ. Anastasis the every time except one time when you find that in the New Testament resurrection it's always feminine gender so that's talking about the resurrection of the church when we are quick and made alive after we come after we die now everything in the Bible has been preordained by God everything in history the whole point of predestination And the Sabbath, the Sabbath means rest. It never means, never means seven. Does not mean that. Sabbath. And let me tell you something while I'm thinking about it. When the Bible says Jesus rose on the first day of the week or when Paul preached Paul preached I don't know why I'm crossing my L's Paul preached on the first day day of the week and you find that in Acts Acts 20 verse 7 and you find in 1 Corinthians the 16th chapter 16th chapter 1 and 2 the Bible is speaking of 
on the first day of the week, first day of week, let every man lay in store as God hath prospered him. That's talking about on the day that they meet. They met on the first day of the week in the first century. Why? Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. The Sabbath was not transferred to Sunday. Was not. Never was. So on the first day of the week, and people will write to me and say, but that word week is Sabbath. You're exactly right. Paul preached on the first day of the Sabbath. There's something most people do not know. They numbered every day of the week from the Sabbath. That's what they did. You can get that out of Encyclopedia Judaica. That's a 17-volume set of Jewish encyclopedias, and I've got that in my library. You can look at it in Isidore Singer's Jewish Encyclopedia. That's a 12-volume set, and they'll tell you. They numbered everything from the Sabbath. You had the Sabbath day, and then you had the first day of the Sabbath, which was Sunday. That's what they called. They numbered all the days of the week. The first day of the Sabbath, first of Sabbath, was Sunday. Monday was the second day of the Sabbath. This is the way the Jews numbered it. Second day. Tuesday was the third day of the Sabbath. Third day. So anytime you find week, they numbered everything from the Sabbath. The first day of the week, Paul preached. Well, let me show you this. Let's go over here to... Let's go over to Acts 20. Acts 20. Acts 20 and verse 7. And upon the first day of the Sabbath, it says week, but it's it's Sunday. On the first day of the Sabbath, when the disciples were come together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continue his speech until midnight on Sunday. Now go over here to go over here to First Corinthians, sixteenth chapter. They met on Sunday. That's the day Jesus rose from the dead. All right, First Corinthians sixteen. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, it's the word Sabbath, because they're meeting on Sunday, which was called the first day of the Sabbath to the Jews. On the first day of the Sabbath, let everyone lay by in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You don't know Jewish culture. You're not going to know how to read this. And that's the first day of the week was called the Sabbath. They met on that day. Why did they meet? Because Jesus Jesus was crucified on the first day of the week. And people will say, 
Yes, but but the Bible's Bible says as as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They said that a part of a day was the whole. Part of a day. Part of a day was the whole. Part was the whole. And they said if they got Jesus into the tomb at 5 o'clock on Friday evening. Friday evening. That they had to count. That's before sundown. Before sundown. Their days begin at sundown. That, where'd they get that? From Genesis, the first chapter. The evening and the morning are the first day. The evening and the morning are the second day. They begin the day at sundown. They didn't begin their day at 12.01 in the morning. Forget 12.01 when you read about that. So they had to count all the way back to Thursday evening. at 6 o'clock or at sundown, whatever sundown was. And so they counted that as a whole day. If he got in at 5 o'clock and the sun went down at 6 or 6.30. And then they had to count the next day to Saturday. Saturday began at 6 o'clock in the evening or sundown. Had to count that all the way to sundown the next day. And then... You get to the first day of the Sabbath, the first day of the week, Sunday, and Jesus resurrects from the dead. That is the word synecdoche, S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-D-O-C-H-E. Synecdoche means a part of something is the whole. A part is whole. Now, so they had to, Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, or first day of the Sabbath, which was Sunday morning, and that's why they had to, and they had to count it all the way till sundown Sunday, even though he rose in the morning. So he was crucified on Friday. How do you know he arose on the first day of the week? The Bible says so. Go back over here to Go back over to John 19. And without understanding genders in the Bible, you're going to miss all this. You've got to understand masculine, feminine, neuter, gender. Masculine, which means male. Feminine, female. And neuter, that is thing. That is a desk, that's a thing. Your car is a thing. Uh, the piano over here is a thing. Anything that's neuter gender is a thing. Female would be feminine, masculine would be male. Now, look here in John. 
This we're going to show you why Jesus rose from the dead on why he was crucified on Friday. Friday had a title to the Jews. They called every Friday Sabbath. Eve. Eve was the wife of Adam. It means the mother. You can find this in Genesis, the third chapter. means mother of all living. Sabbath Eve was the day before the Sabbath. It meant mother of the Sabbath. That's what it meant. That was Friday. So you're going to have to have a female Friday. That's the only day that the Jews called Sabbath Eve. They didn't call any other Sabbath. If the Sabbath landed on, if it landed on Tuesday one year, they did not call Tuesday Sabbath Eve. They did not. That was reserved for Friday only, and that was the eve of the Sabbath. Now look here in John 19. John 19, Jesus is dying. He's on the cross. He's on the cross. And the Bible says, in verse 31, the Jews therefore because it was preparation, parascune, P-A-R-A-S-K-U-N-E. Because it was preparation. What does that mean? On Friday, they had to prepare for the Sabbath. They had to do what they called E-U-B-U-I-C-K, Ubuik. Ubrick was the preparation of the Sabbath. And they had to prepare. Here's what they had to do. They had to pay their tithes to the priest before sundown. Pay tithes to priest. They had to light light a candle they could not light any fires on the Sabbath light a candle and they had to prepare their food they could not prepare any food after sundown they could not light any fires after sundown forget that what did they do they had to lay down in their house and sleep and rest all day they could not go to church anywhere they didn't go to the temple they didn't do any of that then he goes on to say this was preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is entering. 
for the Sabbath day was an high day. The Sabbath day of that week was an high day. And they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And you wouldn't have any understanding of none of this if you don't know the Jewish culture behind it. No, you wouldn't have any idea what it's talking about. You can't get a Baptist preacher or a doctor of theology with a Ph.D. and an LLD and a DD, dead dog. <laughs> you couldn't get any of them to tell you what this means unless they had studied Jewish culture. They don't know. It's just disgusting. This Sabbath week, this Sabbath of the week was in high day. Boy, that's really interesting. You're on Friday. It's preparation. Let me spell this out for you. Preparation. And the word preparation in the Greek is P-A-R-R. A. Their P looks like pi, but it's a P. Their A's look our, like our A's. Their R looks like our P. You just knock the front leg off of our R, and you got their R. P-R-A-S. An S in the middle of a word looks like an oval, the little flag on top. On the end of a word, it looks like our S. Pyra S K. Their K looks like our K. You can see it up here. S-K-E. Not, not this E, but the Ada. And the Ada is always feminine gender. S-K-E-N, Ada. Paraskune, and this Ada new on the end, this new Ada makes it feminine gender. So preparation means it was a feminine day. It was the mother of the Sabbath. Mother of Sabbath. That's why it had a feminine gender to it. It's female. It's the mother of the Sabbath. So, and it says the Sabbath of that week, which is the next day, it's a high day. A high day. You've got to understand there's a word in in geometry. It's called congruent. C-O-N-G-R-U-E-N-T. Congruent. Congruent is where you have two, let's just say two triangles. They're in different places but one will fit exactly on the top of the other, and that's called a congruent triangle. What a high day was, or where you had a high day, that was a Sabbath. You had a Sabbath. And you had another Sabbath that fit right on top of it. A Sabbath. That'd be two Sabbaths in one day. How in the world did that happen? This Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. But you have to understand in the scriptures that when they had a Passover, when they had the Passover, the Passover were called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 
and the feast of unleavened bread lasted for seven days and it didn't begin till the next day the feast of unleavened bread began the next day and that was always a sabbath day and that fit right on the top of the weekly sabbath that's why it was an eye day where do you get that out of these jewish dictionaries you can't really understand the bible fully unless you have some extra biblical information out of McClinic and Strong Encyclopedia, Hastings, or these Judaica, or Isidore Singer's Jewish Encyclopedia. When you go to them, they'll tell you what these words mean. Now, then again, when you get down to the end of this, well, let me go ahead and go through this. That Pilate might break their legs. It was against Jewish law for anybody to be hanging on a cross or being undergoing an execution on a Sabbath day. What did they mean by breaking their legs? If you don't know this, you're not going to have any... You can be a doctor of theology, anything you want to be. And you still can't understand this. You have to know what the cross was and how it was made. The cross was made, and when you see cross, it's always staros in the in the Greek in the New Testament. Staros means to post. So when it means a stake, actually. So whenever the Jehovah's Witnesses or some of these people say, Jesus crucified on a stake, what did that have to do with breaking his legs? You would have to know about that. And that's going to do away with just a stake. Now, it is a stake. But the stake was called a stipes. They had a cross piece they'd put in right up here. Why? Why would they do that? But the stake was sitting out there by itself until the man who was condemned, and to be put on a cross, you could only be put on a cross if you were a criminal or a slave. As a Roman citizen, you couldn't be put on a cross. And the Jews didn't consider Jesus a Roman citizen. I mean, a Jewish citizen. They said he was a Samaritan. So they broke their own law when they broke their own law. So the guy would bring this patibulum, P-I-T-U-B-L-E-M. That was the cross piece. He would carry that on his shoulders. So when you see those pictures of Jesus carrying that on his shoulders, they put his on his shoulders. They tied his hands to that cross piece, to that patibulum, and he staggered out to Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. And that's where they're going to crucify him. When he fell down, he just couldn't bear that patibulum anymore. He didn't. They didn't have the cross like this with Simon the Cyrenian here under the cross 
and staggering with it, pulling it like that. He had to be carrying this patibulum. And he staggered and fell under that. So they put the patibulum on the shoulders of Simon the Cyrenian. And we can talk about why he was there from Cyrene. He was coming back to the three feasts of of the Jews. So he was bringing that. And they put, they laid him down on the ground, nailed him. Actually, they tied him to this patibulum. They found out 200 years prior to the Roman Empire crucifying Christ, they were using crosses in Carthage. Carthage is northern Africa. That's where Annibal come from, brought his elephants and went across the Pyrenees Mountains. And he's going to conquer Rome, but he couldn't get his animals across the Pyrenees. And this is Carthage here in northern Africa. So he comes over here and he's going to conquer Rome. And he didn't make it across. Hannibal was his name. They were crucifying people in Carthage 200 years before. They were crucifying them up here in Tyre and Sidon also. And they found that when they put a man on a cross and dropped it into a hole, a lot of times if they had him nailed to a cross, he would come flying off the cross. He'd go thud, and there he'd go flying on the ground. So they had to, the Romans figured out a way to be very diabolical and scheming. They were some cruel people. And they would nail him down to that patibulum. Nail him down. And they would tie ropes around his wrist to keep him on the patibulum. But they didn't drop the cross into the hole. They planted that that stipes in the ground they planted that before he was going to be brought out there. And all they had to do was make him lie on the ground, nail him to the cross, but they did not nail him in the palm of his hand. If they had of, they would have broke some bones. And the lamb, Passover lamb, no bone could be broken out of that 12th chapter of Exodus. Where they nailed him to the patibulum, they drove it between the radius and ulna. That's those two bones that go down to the hand. And there's no, there's, you can nail right through between those two and you're not going to hit a bone. And then they would tie him there so he couldn't be, couldn't come down. And one other thing they did, when they took him up and put him on that that notch when they put him on the notch they pulled his hands they pulled his arms back twisted the patibula backwards so that he was popping out and he would be and then hanging there for a while his body would be out of joint the Passover lamb had to be disjointed and a bone could not be broken so he was disjointed Christ was disjointed and his bones were out of joint. The 22nd chapter of Psalms will tell you that. 
how would how would the writer of the 22nd Psalms know that Jesus would be out of joint? God had planned all that too. And there's one other thing they did that made it very miserable. They put a little footstool here. And I used to see pictures of that when I was young. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. That makes it comfortable. No, it doesn't. When they had him out of joint, he had to push up on that footstool. He could breathe in. He could inhale, but he couldn't exhale because he was so disjointed. So in order to... In order to exhale, he had to reach down with his feet and push up in order to exhale. So, when the guards came around to Jesus, they started to break his legs. But if they'd have been able to break his legs, he would not have met the criteria of the Passover lamb. And when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. And the Bible says they break not his legs. You're not going to know nothing about that. I doubt if there's any doctor of theology that even knows that down at one of these seminaries in Nashville. I doubt that. I've never heard anybody talk about it. I didn't get it until I dug it out of my, my Jewish books. So they had press up. And that way they could breathe. But when they came to Jesus, he was dead already, and they break not his legs. Now, there's one other verse in this 19th chapter. This shows that he died on Friday. And when the Sabbath began, when the Bible says the Sabbath began to dawn, it's not talking about the sun come up. It's talking about the candle was lit. That's when it began to, it actually says shine. The Sabbath, huh? Mike said what verse? Well, I'm not reading that. It began to shine. I'd have to go to another part of the Bible right now. But when the Sabbath began to shine, I believe it's Luke's account. When it began to shine, it doesn't mean it began to shine. It means Hold on. It means the candle was lit. All right. Okay, let me give this to you in Luke, the 23rd chapter. And here's what it says. Verse... 54, and that day was preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. The word drew means to shine. It doesn't mean the Sabbath was entering. It means the Sabbath began to shine. The word is epiphosco, A-P-I-E-P-I-P-H-O-S-K-O, E-P-I. E-P-H-O-S-K-O. Remember the word phos? Phos is the word light. Epi means to cover with light. It's talking about the lighting of the candle. That's what it's talking about. And that was imperative because they couldn't light any fires the next after 6 o'clock or after sundown. 
And the word means it begin to grow light or begin to shine. It's not talking about the sun come up. It's not talking about that at all. Now, there's one other verse out of, out of John 19. There laid they Jesus, therefore, verse 42, chapter 19 of John. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because the Jews' preparation day. The word Jews is not a noun here. It's an adjective. Adjective tells which, what kind of, or how many. This tells which preparation. It was the Jews' preparation, parascuane. It was the Jews' day before the Sabbath. It was the Jews' mother of the Sabbath, feminine gender. For the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, one other verse I'm going to give you. Mark 16, Mark 15, excuse me. It's giving you the basic same account, Mark 15. I'm going to stay on this subject of the Sabbath. Mark 15. If you don't know the Jewish culture... I doubt if there's a doctor of theology that knows what I've said for these last 25 minutes. Hardly anywhere. Because they've had all these fights of where Jesus, where Jesus was uh, crucified on Wednesday or Thursday. He couldn't have been crucified on Wednesday or Thursday. The next day, next day wasn't the Sabbath. The Sabbath. It wasn't the mother of the Sabbath for sure. All right. 15th chapter of Mark. Fifteenth chapter. Verse forty two. This is when Jesus is on the cross crying. He cried out, said, or oh, this centurion said, This is the Son of God there in verse thirty nine. And verse forty two, and now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before Sabbath. Their Sabbath day was the most holy day to the Jews. He was crucified on Friday. That was the Passover. And it was the mother of the Sabbath, the Parascuane. Feminine gender. Now, what does that have to do with all the things that we're going to talk about? Let me give you some things on this. Let me just say that one other thing I need to give you is in Luke, the twenty, the twenty-third chapter. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, a part of something to hold. That's synecdoche. That's true from one end of the Bible to the other. Chapter twenty-three: Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's in Galilee. He's walking down the road and he runs into these two guys. And look at verse 12. 
wait a minute, I'm in the wrong chapter. 24, excuse me. 24. Now, upon the first day of the Sabbath, Sunday, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which had they had prepared and certain others with them. So, it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday, and Jesus is already resurrected. He didn't resurrect on Saturday. He couldn't have, not according to the mathematical figures of it. And then he runs into these two guys on the road to Emmaus. And they didn't recognize Jesus. In verse 16, their eyes were holding that they could not know him. Holding means shut. They couldn't see. He said to them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk? Are you, are you sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Cleopas, answering, said to him, "Are you not only are you a stranger in Jerusalem, and you've not known the things that have come to pass in these days?" And he said, "Jesus said, what things? <laughs> I think it's kind of comical. He knew about everything. He was God. And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word." before God and all the people. So these two men were believers. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him, and he condemned, be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trust that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. We believe he was going to redeem Israel. Well, he is. Spiritual Israel. And beside all this, beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And the Bible says, all through, it says in Matthew twelve forty, as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus will be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. But all the rest of the time when it says Jesus is going to rise from the dead, the Bible says he'll resurrect the third day, not the fourth day. If Jesus had have resurrected, if he'd have spent three days and three nights in the tomb, I've said this before, there's 60 seconds in a minute. There's 60 minutes in an hour. 60 times 60 is 3,600 seconds in one hour. 3,600. Let me write this on the board. He was crucified on Friday. It don't matter what anybody says. He didn't travel anywhere on the Sabbath. I've had people fight me and argue with me over this. It's because you are ignorant. Ignorant means unlearned about all these facts. There's 60 seconds in a minute. 60 seconds. Minute. Sixty minutes. In an hour. Six times sixty. Sixty times sixty is thirty-six hundred. 
seconds in one hour. Seconds in one hour. There's 24 hours in a day, so 24 times 3,600, 24 hours in a day. 24 times 3,600 is 86,400. 86,400 seconds in a day. Three days and three nights would be three times 86,400 seconds, which would be 259,000 200 seconds in three days and three nights. If Jesus had arose one one millionth of a second after all of this is over he would have risen from the dead on the fourth day. And he never said that. He said numerous times, I will rise the third day. Matthew sixteen twenty one, Matthew seventeen twenty three, Matthew twenty and nineteen, Matthew twenty seven sixty four, Mark nine thirty one, Mark ten thirty four, Luke nine twenty two, Luke thirteen thirty two, Luke eighteen thirty three, Luke. 2446 Acts 10:40 1 Corinthians 15 and 4 I will rise the third day so a part has to be the whole he didn't rise the fourth day if he'd have risen any time after this if that had been completely fulfilled 3 days and 3 nights he would have had to risen sometime the fourth day now don't argue with me. Now, let's move into the Sabbath. Okay. How much time do I have, Mike? 34. Let me read you one other thing. Out of McClinic and Strong, okay? Three days and three nights out of McClinic and Strong's encyclopedia. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The apparent apparent difficulty in these words arise from the fact that our Lord continued in the grave only one day complete. That's what McClendon Colonel Strong says. Together with a part of a day on which he was buried and of that on which he rose again a part of the day. The Hebrews had no word expressly answering to the Greek word nuktherion or natural day of 24 hours, an idea which they expressed by the phrases a night and a day or a day and a night. The, when the Bible speaks of 40 days and 40 nights in Genesis 7, 12 and 17 wherefore as it is common in general computations to ascribe a whole day to what takes up only a part of it when it was done in the Jewish language it was necessary 
in 1 Samuel 30 and 12, where the Egyptian whom David's men found in the field is said to have eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. Nevertheless, in giving an account of himself, the Egyptian told them that his master had left him because three days ago I fell sick. And in Hebrew, it is, I fell sick this third day. That is, this is the third day since I fell sick. Indeed, among the Hebrews, things were said to be done after three days, which were done on the third day. Agreeably to these forms of speech, the prophecy of our Lord's resurrection from the dead is sometimes represented as taking place after three days, sometimes on the third day. Now, let me see if I got something else here. No, I'm not going to read that. That's too long. All right. Now, let me go to the let me go to the Sabbath. This is for Sabbath worshipers, people who say they're worshiping God on Saturday instead of Sunday. It was not the Roman Catholic Church that transferred Saturday, that said they transferred the Sabbath to Sunday. It was not. The person that said the Catholics did that was Ellen White. She is the woman that organized the Seventh-day Adventist. She wanted Saturday to be the Sabbath. So she said she started the Seventh-day Adventist, and they worship on Saturday. I don't mind somebody worshiping on Saturday, but don't tell me that's what they did in the early church. They did not. They worshiped on the Lord's Day, which is the first day of the week. Mr. Hislop will tell you, this is how you do away with Easter because they did not keep one day a year, Ishtar, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ one day a year. He says they did that every in fact, it was Geisler, he quoted, an early church historian. He quoted Geisler and said, they celebrated the resurrection of Christ every Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, if you're out there and you're a seventh day, or you're trying to defend Christ dying on Wednesday or Thursday, I've given you information. You can throw it away if you want to. You're, just let, you're willingly ignorant if you do. Now, let me remind you again some of the things that I've said about the Sabbath. Look at Exodus 16. This is what you have to do if you're going to keep the seventh day. When the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. To keep holy is one word in the Hebrew. It's the word kadosh. It means keep ritualistically clean. So you're going to have to keep all the rituals of the Sabbath. What has happened to the rituals? Colossians 2.14 says they were nailed to the cross. I'll explain that later. All the rituals of all 
the holy days were nailed to the cross and everything that was once literal is now spiritual. And there's a spiritual Sabbath and it is every day. It has to do with predestination. When you come to the place and you realize that everything is of God, all the good and the bad in your life, you learn to rest. And Sabbath means rest. So no matter what happens as a believer in your life, how long does it take you to learn to rest with your situation? A lifetime. I really started resting about 65 years old. I had been preaching predestination all my life. But I had to get in my 60s to begin to realize this is all of God. I'm not going to get angry at anybody anymore. I was about 64, 65. I don't get angry at anybody. I get real plain with everybody. I got plain with my sister and she got mad at me. I wasn't insulting you, Janice. I was just telling you, you can't know that you're saved and you can't know that you're going to heaven unless you see your life change. You have to become somebody that you didn't used to be. And I've got a lot to say about that. A lot. I've said this before. I've spent so much time in the Greek for these last 42, 43 years that I'd have to introduce myself to my family because I haven't seen them in that long. And they don't know that the Bible has changed. The Greek text has changed me. It's changed me. Now, look here in Exodus, the 16th chapter. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist or you're a Sabbath keeper, here's what you need to do and not to do. Let me show you what you need to do, first of all, in the 16th chapter of Exodus. Looking here in the 22nd verse. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered together. They gathered twice as much bread. God did not give any manna on the ground on the seventh day. He gave enough on the sixth day to last the seventh. And he said, if you keep any over any other day of the week, I'll cause worms to get into it. I'm going to supply your need each day. We have to learn that. And he says over here in verse 29, See, for the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you the sixth day, the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Stay in your home. Don't drive your car to a church. Don't You can't light any fires on the Sabbath. If you get in your car, turn on the ignition, you've got a four-cylinder car or a six-cylinder, you're really sinning then because you've got those cylinders lighting fires every time they fire. And that's against the law. You stay in your house. You don't go anywhere. You Seventh-day keepers... The Bible says, 
Every man stay in his place. Let no man go out of his place or out of his house on the seventh day. It wasn't a day. Sabbath was not a day to go listen to a preacher preach. Or go listen to the... What really is amazing, the the priests were over at the temple making all the sacrifices of the Sabbath and they were breaking the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath, yet the Bible says they were held guiltless. They were guilty because of the doing the work of God on the Sabbath. So stay at home. Don't drive your car anywhere. If anyone works on the Sabbath, he has to die. Look at thirty-one fourteen. Thirty-one fourteen. Yeah, Exodus thirty-one fourteen. Thirty-one fourteen. All right. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath shall you keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone that defileth it shall be surely put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off. It means to die from among his people. So you cannot, you cannot move a piece of furniture in your house. You cannot plant a garden or go out and hold the grass and hold the weeds out of your garden. You've got to lay down and rest all day on the Sabbath. Exodus 35, 2 and 3 says you can't light any fire. They had to light those candles. That was that was the Sabbath drawing nigh or shining. In Exodus 35, 2 and 3. 35. 2. Six days shalt thy work be done, but on the seventh day it shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest. A Sabbath of rest. I believe the word rest is nuach, where you get the word Noah, means to rest. To the Lord, and whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. You Sabbath keepers, you can't do any work whatsoever. If you observe the Sabbath, there was a young man over in the book of Numbers. He picked up sticks on the Sabbath and God had just told him not to do any work. And Moses said, what are you going to do with him? God said, put him to death. He didn't put him to death for picking up the sticks. He put him to death for ignoring God's word, God's commandment. All right. Let's look at something else. If you're going to keep the Sabbath correctly, you're going to have to lay out some showbread in the temple, but you're going to have to go to Jerusalem and find a temple and find some sons of Aaron so they can lay out the showbread but the showbread was for the priest in the temple and he had to be a son of Aaron. So if you're not a son of Aaron, you can't keep the Sabbath in this respect. 
Leviticus 24 and 8. Leviticus 24. How much time do I have, Mike? 24 and 8. Every Sabbath he shall set it, the showbread, from the previous verses, in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. So you're going to have to find you a temple of God. A temple of and the table of showbread is here. And every Sabbath, they lay that in. It was unleavened bread, so you got to get unleavened bread. But you're going to have to have a priest of Aaron if you're going to make this literal. And you're going to have to have an Ark of the Covenant. But your hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. Your heart is sprinkled, just like the Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled. You're going to have to have a altar of incense, and you're going to have to have seven candlesticks. But that's the church... That's the seven angels of the seven churches. You're going to have to have an altar. Wait a minute, that's a cross. You're going to have to be washed in this brazen sea. But that's the blood of Christ now. The blood. We're washed. He's washed from our sins in his own blood. So you're going to have to fix that table of showbread with a high priest. That's the sin of Aaron. If you're going to keep the Sabbath the way the Old Testament says... In Numbers fifteen thirty two to thirty six, this young man was put to death because he defiled the Sabbath. And the meat offerings and the bird offerings have to be offered on the Sabbath. And then Deuteronomy five twelve through fifteen, no manner beast is to work on the Sabbath. I've got a lot more. No selling on the Sabbath. Numbers ten and thirty one. You can't. S- how can you go to the store and have somebody sell you something and cause them to break the Sabbath? Uh, and no pleasure on the Sabbath. Look at Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. You can't watch basketball, college basketball. You can't watch college football on the Sabbath. You can't do nothing on the Sabbath. You have to lay down at your home and rest. It's equated with rest. That's all. Look here in Isaiah 58. This is the chapter about fasting. Fasting does not mean to give up food. It means to give up self. It's called afflicting the soul, ani, A-N-I-Y. It's called afflicting the soul there in verse 3. And all through here when it talks about afflict the soul, it's the word ani. That's the same word on the day of atonement, the day of kafar. Well, the day of kafar is when your heart is sprinkled. Kafar means atonement. The Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled. So now look here in Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure, verse thirteen, doing thy pleasure on my holy day, 
You can't have any pleasure on the Sabbath. No football, no basketball. You can't go out and play with your kids on the grass because it's Sunday. You can't go to church and light fires in your cylinders. Well, we don't do it that way. You're not supposed to do it at all. You're not supposed to do anything on the Old Testament Sabbath. And call the Sabbath a delight. That's what pleasure means. And the holy of the Lord honoreth and shalt honor him. Not doing thine own ways, none of your pleasure, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. You can't speak. You can't tell stories. You can't talk casually. You have to rest on the Sabbath. And look at Jeremiah seventeen twenty one. You can't do any work of any kind. What would you do? Gosh, you have to lay down and rest. I've been told I need to check it out that your heart slows down every seven days. Look at Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. I've been meaning to... So if you actually keep a seven-day Sabbath, if you're working and you're having fun or doing anything that's a pleasure... Say, well, I don't do nothing but drive over to my mother and father's house. Well, you're not supposed to drive anywhere. They couldn't ride a donkey or do anything. You couldn't do nothing on the Sabbath. What about Jesus healing on the Sabbath? They said you couldn't do that. And But the Pharisees said in their halakha, that when the Son of Man comes, he can dispense with the Sabbath as he wills. Jeremiah 17 and verse 21. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day. Don't pick up anything. If you don't like where your TV's sitting, don't move it across the room till Monday. Nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Neither do ye any work, but hallow your Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Now that's the truth. That's the truth whether you like it or not. All right. Now, let me get one other thing for you. Look over here in in Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Matthew, the 12th chapter and verse 5. Matthew 12, verse 5. 
Have you not read in the law how that the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? They're not to be blamed because they're over there offering all the sacrifices at this temple that's required on the Sabbath day that they kill on this altar. And that goes through a long list of sacrifices. And when they do that, they're blameless and they... nobody goes to the temple to listen to the priest preach it's not what the Sabbath was for it was to rest now no matter whether you like that or not that's the truth and one other thing I'll give you Mark 2 Mark 2 Mark 2 and verse 27. Verse 27. And Jesus said unto these people, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That infuriated the Pharisees because they said in their verbal law, their halakha, they said, Man was created on the sixth day. Created on the sixth day to put it in subjection to the Sabbath. And Jesus said, Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And they went, Whoa, we'll get you for that someday. And they did. They killed him. Now, do I have any time, Mike? I'll get started on what I was going to talk to you about. Go back to Hebrews. Where is the Sabbath today? It's a spiritual Sabbath, and it comes about. Go to Hebrews, the third chapter. I'll just kind of cover this in a little short synopsis, and then I'm going to try to cover it completely next week and this is why I say predestination and the sovereignty of God has to do with the Sabbath because when you begin to realize that God works all things after the counsel of his own will that means all things that means good and evil that means even the sin that Satan does when Satan When Satan destroyed all of Job's property, Job said that was God that did it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Name is Onoma. It's the word Shem in the Hebrew. Onoma in the Greek. It means authority. Blessed be God's authority. God's power. All power was given to Jesus in heaven and earth. And that means all the good and the evil comes from God. I did a message on God creating evil, and I did a paper on that, how God creates all evil. Now, when you get into this third and fourth chapter, this is going to spell out that everything that God is doing, we need to rest in all of this. Rest. 
when he works all things after the council. Sabbath means rest. Sabbat. Or Shabbat. There's many ways to spell it. Shabbat. Shabbat means to rest. Noah's word, Noah's name, comes from, let me give you this out of Job. Job. Job, the, I believe it's in the third chapter. People try to say that babies die, they go to hell. I don't believe that at all. At all. They can't sin. Especially six weeks old, a year old, two years old. They they don't know right from wrong. And him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Here in Job, in Job, Job says, after his seven sons and three daughters were killed, and Job gave God credit for that. He said, the Lord has taken my sons and daughters away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible turns around. The last verse of Job, the first chapter says, in all this Job sinned not with his lips, nor charged God foolishly. Job tells the truth. God brought about all that evil. Then Job is very sad. And he said in verse 11 of chapter 3, Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost? Why wasn't I born, stillborn or born dead when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees, why did the knees prevent me? Prevent means to stop me from dying. Why did they, why didn't I die? Why the breast that I should suck? But now, he says right here in verse 13, For now should I have lain still if I'd have died from my mother's womb. And I'd have kept quiet. I should have slept. Then had I been at rest. The word rest is nuach, N-U-W-A-C-H. It is Noah's name. It's the word Noah comes from Nuach. It means rest. Well, you mean he would have been at rest if he'd have died from the womb and he wouldn't have had to suffer all this pain and anguish that he suffered when his children died in the big wind? Well, all the winds belong to God, according to the 37th and 38th chapter of Job. The great winds, the big winds, the hurricanes, the tornadoes. God said, they're mine. The great rains are mine. The frost and the ice are mine. If people die in a snowstorm, I did it. When you come to that realization, you can walk, you can rest. When you realize that predestination is true, the sovereignty of God is true, that God has ordained everything to be the way it is, when something bad happens to you, and this fourth, third and fourth chapter of Hebrews tells us that the Sabbath 
is spiritual rest. It's every day. It's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The Sabbath is every day because we rest in believing all the things of God. I'm going to go through this chapter and go through some of the book of Numbers next week. Am I out of time? Five minutes. Five minutes. I'm going to go into this chapter and show you. The Bible speaks of how Israel hardened their hearts in the day of provocation. It's referring back to Predestination and the Sabbath and the sovereignty of God are all related. When you come to the realization that everything that God is doing to your life, He's doing it to refine you. He's going to refine every one of His saints by putting us in the fire of every kind of pain that we can go through. If you go through a bankruptcy... If you go through health problems, if you lose your house, if you lose your job, if you lose your car, if your mother dies of cancer, all of this is ordained. Is this included And all things work together for good. Does this included in, is this included in everything give thanks? I don't care what it is happens in the believer's life. It's all for your good to perfect teleos. To perfect you. Be therefore perfect. It doesn't mean to be without sin. It means be perfected. And that's an imperative mood in the Greek. It's a command. Now in this it's going to talk about the children of Israel. They murmur against God. Like God brought them in the wilderness. To die. Simply because they have no food. no water and they have to escape Pharaoh's army but as soon as they escape Pharaoh's army in that 14th chapter of Exodus they're down in the bottom of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies are drowned and that was the power of God and the will of God God killed Pharaoh and then they get to they get to Kadesh Barnea. That's the first time they just get angry with God and they say, You brought us out here to die. That's just a little time after that's in Numbers. Numbers 13 and 14 and we're going to go through that and it's talking about 
how they couldn't believe. It was unbelief that they could conquer, conquer these giants in the land of Anak. And that matches up with Hebrews, the third chapter, and they could not enter into God's rest, which they God compared the rest or the Sabbath to the promised land. They couldn't enter into God's rest that God called the Sabbath. And he called the rest Canaan. And the reason they couldn't enter in was because of their murmuring against God in the days of provoking God. And they couldn't enter in because of their unbelief. Unbelief means no no faith. Faith is death to self. Death to self believes God regardless of what he's doing. And the Bible says they couldn't enter in during those days of provocation because of their A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is the word faith. Pistuo is the word believe. Believe. And when you place the alpha in front of those words, it means no faith, no belief. Because of their unbelief that God could overthrow their enemies. When you don't believe that God can overthrow your enemies and that you have to fight them, you're not in a Sabbath at all. It takes believing that God has done these. I've really begun to rest in the Sabbath of God since I've gotten older and my life seems to be going smoother other than the aches and pains of an 81 year old it seems to be going we're doing good in the ministry we during this coronavirus we haven't lacked anything in the ministry the offerings keep coming in from around the world and I'm just getting old and I got aches and pains, but for the ministry, everything seems to be going fine. Am I about out of time, Mike? Yes. Well, let's pray then, okay? I'm going to finish this next week. Lord, we thank you for truth, for your word. God, I don't even know what to ask you. Just give me strength to keep doing this, and I'll keep doing it. Lord, the people that don't understand, help them to understand. Help them to understand that they're unlearned when they don't know these things. Nothing wrong with being unlearned, but there's something wrong with not wanting to learn. Lead us to your family. We'll praise you for everything because you said in everything, give thanks. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're trying to get through this Sabbath thing. When you learn to rest, you can get into the Sabbath. In order to understand the Sabbath, you've got to know that Jesus died on Friday. 
That's why we meet on the Sabbath day. Meet on the first day of the week. Whether you like it or not, 